time of year again. That's right, the No Loads Refused Pimped Out Cum Dump event only at your local Honda dealer. When we say No Loads Refused, we mean it. 48 minutes of dog barking. 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 Growl. Oh, shit. The laughing hurts too much, Brian. The laughing hurts too much. Um, but oh yeah it, it all hurts and it it's um it's not fair that you got it worse than me well i, I think, think the only reason i got it worse than you is because i was on the damn loud pack they had you on the the packs they had me on the packs livid yeah and honestly with the packs livid i was like oh what is this a big no big fucking deal and then <clears throat> the minute i'm off the packs livid it hit me like a fucking freight train so i was like I think I told you this. Like, why the fuck did I bother with this then? Like, why? Yeah. Why would I yeah, let it build up for a week and then let it hit me like that? It was stupid. Yeah, that's weird because everyone I know that did the packs was like, "Oh, this is this was a lifesaver. This really." Mm. I mean, like everyone, everyone, like uh, oh, it was for the going, first uh, five days. Sure. Interesting, because like I'm not going to name names, but I know people that like did it and they got yeah. COVID and they were like oh yeah it made the whole I imagine the whole thing would have been worse without it mm-hmm. and like when I so so dear listeners I tested positive for COVID on a Friday and it had been showing symptoms but testing negative mm-hmm. uh, since that previous Sunday the, basically the day uh, September 11th I, I, I started test, I started having COVID Jesus. symptoms <laughs> yeah you know so that was <laughs> On 9-11. So, uh, folks, on, what did you do on 9-11? Yeah, right. Um, so I tested negative. I tested multiple times right. throughout that week. Right, because um, I, I wouldn't have said, hey, come over had, had, you, had you tested positive. I said, well, we'll sure. do a remote. But so like I tested positive on that, that following Friday. And uh, what's really like just fucked up with like how this country is handling COVID is that like I'm talking with a nurse at the urgent care and she's like, well, you know, by per CDC guidelines, even though I just told you you tested positive for COVID, technically you can go back to work tomorrow and mm-hmm. you just have to wear a mask. And I'm like, and I, I like explained, like I explained my job, like the environment I work in. I'm like, that just sounds like a death sentence you're sending me to. And she's just kind of like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. She's like, so what, uh, I'll get you a doctor's note. When do you want to go back? I'm like, well, right. Yeah. Cause they, if, they gave me a return to work date of a week ago. <laughs> and that was when a week ago today, we're recording this on a Wednesday, uh, the same day new episodes dropped, by the way, for those of you doggers who are paying attention. But a week ago, their doctor's note said I, I could have gone back to work. Now, those of you who know me know that I work remote and I'm very how do we say uh, religious about it? And so it didn't matter as much to me, but of course uh, Brian has a job where 
you got to be around people and you got to be doing, you know, heavy lifting and whatnot. Physical, so. physical work. Yeah. yeah. And like uh, real work. Some yeah. And I, I will say that the family that I work for actually did some nice considerations towards me for having COVID and stuff like that. The son that I work under uh, is very healthy person and took COVID very seriously and still takes it seriously. And so they did some nice things, but as far as like in my, the direct department I work in, like I was chucking um, like 60, 70 pound Christmas trees above my shoulder onto a shelf. Jesus Christ. It's not even, you know, it's not even Halloween and you're doing Christmas trees. That's that's a big yeah, one right there. I mean, the stuff comes over from there's logistical reasons for it like that I understand, but um but yeah, it's still it's like, you know, it's it's going to there was a 90 degree day this last week, you know. So 98 degree. It was 98 degrees what last Monday or Tuesday? Two Tuesdays ago. So, um but like that's like also the kind of thing like the the warehouse I work in. <laughs> like we sell heavy shit and I'm like one of three people that's like physically apt. Mm-hmm. And it's really weird that like I'm the guy recovering from COVID, yet I am the physically strongest person working in the warehouse right yeah. now. <laughs> You, you got to be Charlie Hustle out there. You're like, fucking, oh, dude, it yeah. sucks. It just sucks because I'm like, yeah, I guess like even even right now, like I guess I'm still like the beefiest guy uh, on the clock here. But like, <laughs> like I still shouldn't really be doing this work. I'm not like I'm not like a beefiest swole guy. No, I'm no. not like a super swole. Do me. I'm like I got I got musculature. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But like you don't you wouldn't look at me like people like at this job and like when I've gone deliveries, like there's been customers there just kind of like, Oh yeah, he can do that by himself. And then they see me do it and they're like, Oh, you and I, uh, me more than you, I guess, but we would be considered having the body of a heavy reader. (laughs) (laughs) A guy who doesn't like to go outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a guy, uh, and a guy who works from home. So yeah. Uh, but hey, Biden says the pandemic is over. So what the fuck? <laughs> In his mind, Terminator Two just came out. So. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, th- that motherfucker had it too. So it's like he knows it's not over. Like he just fucking had it. It's funny because like when he got it, they just put him back underground in the crypt. Yeah. But like when like Trump got it, when Trump got it, it was like man, that was like one of those days where I was like, yo. Yeah, is this gonna be? Is this about to be real exciting? <laughs> Are we about to have the best time online right now? Is racism over? <laughs> like you know, it was like one of those things. Where you're like, wow, is there is a new world, a better world possible? And then it turned out, no, it wasn't. So no, yeah, I yeah. mean, well, thanks Democrats. But right. anyways, um, <laughs> thanks Joe, Dark Brandon. Dark Brandon oh yeah, yeah. well like. Uh, well, today he was like uh, at some rally and like uh, asking oh, for, for if the someone dead was lady. <laughs> yeah, he's going to a rally that 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 a dead lady, Jackie. Uh, what's her name? And it, yeah, it's it's it, Jackie. Where are you, Jackie? Buddy, she died like three weeks ago. Where the fuck have you been? What what is going? I don't understand what kind of cocktail of drugs that they got him on, but I want some. Hook that shit up to me. I need it more than he does. I saw someone on Twitter respond with uh, that that famous image of the of the man in a trench coat at the funeral. That's like way up to my biggest haters' funeral, just to make that mother <laughs> make sure that motherfucker was dead. <laughs> <laughs> my fucking eyeballs just like slammed in the back right. of my head, he and said, what? just just like like oh, I can go back to work tomorrow. I'm like, no, I'm. 
I'm not doing that. Like, no. And like, no, like it's going to be super hot out and I have COVID and I still end up probably going back to work sooner than I should have. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is again, it's fucked up. And like one, there was a guy at work that was kind of like, kind of give me shit about it and i'm like we work outdoors basically mm-hmm. and i'm wearing a mask i'm not we don't sit on top of each other this isn't like a an office or anything like we're pretty we can make space between each other right. and uh and i was like and i just like said i was like hey man like i've gotten fired from a job for self-isolating because i while waiting for COVID tests so like I take this shit pretty seriously, but the yeah. unfortunate matter is, is that my ass, there are no wage protections left anymore. My ass can't fucking make money sitting at home being yeah. sick. So you I got literally fucking, can't afford to. Yeah. I literally can't afford to do it, which is really fucked up. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I did lose wages. I'm f- thankfully the family I work for is working with me on that. And I think, uh, they're going to do the right thing. Um, and you can, uh, leave that up into your interpretation. I'm not going to uh, blow up the spot as it were, but like, no. you know, like again, like they're doing the right thing and I really appreciate that. And that means a lot and it reflects well on them. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is that while they're doing the right thing, my employer, the larger system that we're in is not set up for what my employer is doing to be the rule of law for every other employer and their interaction with their employees or their contractors or whatever. So I got lucky. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Yes. Yes. There's dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in this country that are getting the short end of the stick way worse than I did in my situation. And like what I went through in a very objective way still wasn't great. I got lucky and it still wasn't great. And knowing that that shit's still going to like other people are under the fucking iron heel of that situation way more than I am. And, uh, so, uh, what I'm just saying is, uh, if you see a cop car, (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong, but for different reasons, you can, you can beat that out. No, that's fine. (laughs) We'll let, uh, interpretation for discovery of the eventual lawsuit against us versus Nabisco. Right. <laughs> Purina or whatever. Yeah. In, in the larger picture of things, I have had a really interesting week online. One of the things that I follow really closely is video game stuff. I know sure. every once in a while you do too. One of my favorite YouTubers is a guy named Video Game Donkey. He just announced this week that he and his wife, Leah, are going to start a publishing company for video games that he likes or he wants to like. So that's interesting to me. Taking matters in your own hands. Here's a critic. Here's a guy who has spent the better part of 12, maybe longer years doing games criticism or, you know, kind of uh, sarcastic jokes or whatever it is. But he's putting his money where his mouth is, in his own words. And so Big Mode is the name of the publishing company. and, And hopefully we'll have something soon about what what's actually coming out but it's it's just an idea that i think his time has come the reason i bring this up is i had this very same thought jean-luc godard died recently Mm -hmm. i heard he did some movies (laughs) he certainly did well one of the things that he was known for before he started making movies was he wrote for the french film criticism journal cahier du cinema the, the the cinema backpack 
uh, the the fine pussy juice of yeah. the silver screen, I think, is the literal translation. <laughs> the uh, woman's yeast yeah. of the moving image. Yes. So, yes. Cahiers du Cinema uh, was very influential in the French mm-hmm. New Wave because a lot of those writers and a lot of those people from that scene of film criticism then went on to make their own movies. And so I kind of saw that connection like, okay, here's a critic who's going to do the thing. Now, they may not, you know, make something successful. Roger Ebert infamously, you know, wrote a a pass for, you know, a Valley of the Dolls movie. So Mm -hmm. your mileage may vary as far as whether that was a good movie or not. But the fact that someone went out and did the thing I think is at least admirable just for getting out there and trying it I would agree yeah well, especially in video games I mean it's such a it's such a complainer industry if you go by Twitter and Reddit I mean oh yeah I don't think if you are creating consumptive entertainment that's interactive the internet or even passive entertainment like if you're making video games comics movies anything like that the internet is kind of just like this harsh place like it can be very rewarding but um i'm really thankful that as a photographer no one really ever said my foes or shit they just said i was a shitty person like you know yeah. i would have been really hurt if they said I, yeah i, I would have been really hurt if people said i took bad photos because like i know i don't take bad photos you want to say i'm a shithead I'm, okay yeah i mean just say that yeah <laughs> look back at you know 10 episodes of the show but yeah <laughs> But that's also the thing. Like, Listen, listen. <laughs> you can't miss the shots you don't take. That's true. Is that is that the phrase? I yeah, remember. you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's Wayne Gretzky. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was John Wilkes Booth. No. <laughs> A lesser known John Wilkes Booth quotation, maybe. Uh, so. <laughs> Damn, I'm stupid. Slipping. Uh, so. God, I just got to stop eating this. All of this, this G fuel with lead in it. It wears out certain keys on your keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus! All right. So uh, this uh, this episode obviously not sponsored by G Fuel. No, we're uh, we're sponsored by Ghost Supplements. We're true we're true ledges over here on Forty Eight Minutes of Dogs Barking. Get us in all kinds of legal trouble. It's going to be great. Um. <laughs> the fun thing is they have to send a cease and desist first, right? So it's kind of you, you know, gotta it's find kind of me. like. <laughs> yeah, they kind of got they got sh- they got to send their warning shot over first mm-hmm. before any litigation could begin. So I always take that as like a, a jail free card. <laughs> well, here's hoping. So uh, <laughs> fingers crossed, right? So video games also kind of crossed my mind. Video game development because there's a group of guys that came up with a great game called Trombone Champ. Have you heard of this, Brian? <laughs> have it seems like um people are really enjoying it um and i guess that's fine it doesn't seem like something that would really appeal to me 
it feels like it's one of those game of the week things, which is not necessarily bad, but it is nice that with everything going on, with all of the oversaturation of media and spectacle, that every once in a while, like enough people can come together and be like, yeah, uh, this is pretty interesting. Yeah, I had that same vibe when Untitled Goose Game was getting a lot of attention. Yeah. It does have that same flavor of the week feel, but at the same time, man, it it's great for just sitting back and and watching other people play it because the just the absolute goofiness of the sounds that come out of this game are just pure fun. That's just baffling to me. So, I think they they include a lot of classical music because of course it's it's public domain. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, you know, thus spake Zarathusa. I never pronounced that right. So uh, please send me an email, 48 minutes of dogs barking at gmail.com, to tell me exactly how terrible I am of someone who's supposed to be able to do these things. And you control the pitch with your mouth, right? No, it's a mouse and it's just a right, mouse. Or, sorry, sorry. I'm, I mean, you can't control the pitch of a trombone with your mouth in yes. some respect. <clears throat> but um, I meant to say with your mouse. That's yes. So yes, you control the pitch uh, with your mouse, and it is—it's very much in the vein of you know Guitar Hero or, or DDR or whatever. It's—it's it's a rhythm game. It's matching <laughs> up the, and just clicking at the right time and doing all that. And it, there's a running joke about baboons in it. They're releasing new tracks. They're having you know, people do their own tracks. It's pretty amazing that it got so big in such a short amount of time. But again, like like I said before, it definitely does have the Untitled Goose Game vibe to it, where in about a year, people are going to be like, oh yeah, that that thing? Yeah, well, we're, we're done with that now. And that's, you know. I think Untitled Goose Game has a little bit more staying power, staying power in the zeitgeist, because uh, I still see stuff that's like referential to it in one way or another, kind of more than I think. I think what Untitled Goose Game... It just feels like a much more constant. I haven't played Untitled Goose. I've watched other people play it. Oh, um, it's fun. It's so much fun. I heard. It's, I've like watched. I've seen enough of it. I know enough of it. Be like, yeah, that seems really cool. I'm glad people enjoy it. Um, but uh, I feel like it was like a Goat Simulator, but with like some focus. Because I think Goat Simulator was was like a game jam that was the people decided to make coherent enough that uh, it could be something that sold as a product they could have a skew as it were and uh i think uh goat simulator can be pretty fun but it's also kind of like aimlessly shitty in a way that's not always fun almost almost intentionally so yeah and i and i get that's part of the bit but like i don't know i was when i finally got around to playing i was like oh this is funny and it's neat i wish it was a little bit tighter and i know the the part of the fact that it's like janky and weird as part of the appeal but it would be mm-hmm. nice if there was still like some of the fundamentals were a little bit more solid as far as like your verbs and all that i mean still like watching people play goat simulator like in the basement at a house party was like kind of a fun experience everyone's just getting trashed and like ah oh, you just fucking you just boo that kid across the fucking map or why is your tongue fucking <laughs> parallaxing everywhere and all that shit you know so like you know so I get, I mean, I'm not trying to dunk on Goat Simulator too much. I was just like, ah, oh, Goat Simulator could have been a little bit better product with some very tasteful polish. Yeah, because the, 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 the one that always, they kind of came out around the same time. And the one that I always think of as, as definitely the much better game 
per se is is uh, Octodad because Octodad yeah. had a story, but it also had the same kind of it's kind of goofy, it's kind of clunky, but it seemed more focused. Like you said, it had a it definitely had an identity. It had you know music that they made for it. It had a storyline. It had just a a lot of heart to it. It's a short game, but it was fun. Yeah, I uh, I definitely have heard good things about Octodad. I have not played it, but most of the opinions I've heard about that game were uh, you know in line with yours. And yeah, I highly you know, recommend it. Seeing Octodad and and playing a little bit of Goat Simulator just honestly just makes me wish there were more good Kamari Damasi games. Yeah, like, in some way. Yeah. Like I tried playing Kamari Damasi rolls again or rerolled or whatever, and yeah, like, re-roll. it was. Mm-hmm. I've kind of mentioned this a few times on the pod here, but like playing games that you have like they're older that you have like a real in tune muscle memory about are really fucking obnoxious on modern hardware, particularly yeah. with modern controllers. Cause uh, I might brought this up before, but um, yeah, it was when we talking about resident evil four. Yeah. And uh, I tried playing Kamari Damasi on xbox series x or the fuck the, the newest one the little mini fridge and <laughs> yeah, like yeah. <laughs> and like it just doesn't feel right and, and, yeah and i remember being at a friend's house and he has an old one of the early ps3s that can play ps1 ps2 games uh, and we were playing we love katamari on i'm like oh this is so fucking good oh we love katamari was such a great great sequel yeah Oh yeah, and uh, the DualShock Three mm-hmm. is similar enough to the DualShock Two that, like, and I think the DualShock Four is the same way that, like, that's a pretty consistent experience. But the Xbox controllers just have some different mojo to them, and I'm sure, like, there's some nerd out there who can explain the technicalities behind it. But I most specifically yeah. remember trying to play Jet Grind Radio on my PC with oh, a PlayStation yeah. Four controller and absolutely fucking hating it, like, just like. It just nothing felt right. Like everything fell off rhythm, and I knew like if I were playing it on Dreamcast, it would mm-hmm. be right. But it's just like something. There's like a lag, or the tactile response. Like it just doesn't like. It's like fucking up with my childhood. Well, it's not made for it. I think is really what it is. Is that the the hardware is different? There's there's something tactile that's missing. I don't know. There's there's just you got to play it on the hardware that it's meant for. Yeah, that's why I. Uh, have a little bit of a preservationist streak in me when it comes to old media because like emulation is really good but there's just something about the it's i mean it's the same thing with good music equipment too i can mm-hmm. make there's lots of virtual or digital synthesizers that sound really great and do what they're supposed to do and are, are usable, but they don't have like the same grit of like the original synthesizer or guitar pedal or whatever that they're emulating. There's no way I can segue away from that into anything reasonable, so I'm just going to go right to it. Have you heard of the Try Guys, Brian? Yeah, I heard one of them tried something and uh, got them in trouble. I think that's the <laughs> joke. There were a bunch of guys that used to work for BuzzFeed. When you start a sentence about like a guy you've never heard of that's done something that became the main character of Twitter for a day, and it starts out, well, he was a part of a collective of individuals that cut their teeth at the esteemed online catalog or uh, newspaper, as it were, called BuzzFeed. It's right. just kind of like already I want to be trapped in some dude's dungeon in, in, in downtown Seattle in some abandoned neighborhood, and he's just fucking going at my ears with a screwdriver that he pulled out of a toilet tank. So 2014, they started out at BuzzFeed. <laughs> 
they were known for tackling new stuff. There was there would be an expert, somebody who was an expert in that field, and then they would try new things. That was all the Try Guys was. So it started at BuzzFeed. They left BuzzFeed in 2018. I'm sorry. I hope there's an episode where they tried Kratom. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Where they're all all sitting, they're like sitting around like fucking bougie ass like uh, office with skee-ball tables and shit. And uh, they're just like fucking rubbing their teeth and drinking orange juice. And they're just like, I feel like shit, but... I don't know. This is kind of cool. Yeah, I need some more of that. No, so uh, it was four guys, Keith, Ned, Eugene, and Zach. They were just trying stuff. What's really funny is they even tried to capitalize off of the fact that Ned was a really, well, he was a wife guy. He was an early wife guy. They even had, like, My Wife merch, which, again, Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat, kind of did that already. But... For some reason, he he was known as like he was the wife guy of the group. Sure. So if if if, the, if this is our new kids on the block, then he's you know there's the the dumb one, the funny one, and the wife guy, and then the the fourth one who no one remembers. The guy that opens like a, a chain of Mexican restaurants in like Anaheim. <laughs> the yeah. guy who tries to you know cast himself in a, in, a, in a Pirates of Penzance, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, so the long and short of it is that, you know, he, he has this entire sub-genre of videos where he's being a wife guy, and now it comes out that he cheated on his wife, and it's just like, fuck yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> it just sells itself. I mean, here's the thing, maybe he's still, I mean, we don't know. Sure, sure, we can't say for sure. Because people cheat for all kinds of reasons. I'm not defending this guy. I am. I, no. I am saying I'm like, you know, like I'm saying he fucked up. Yeah. Oh yeah. But maybe he loves his wife and also the chick at the daycare that takes care of his kids. <laughs> you know, it's possible. It's possible. You could, maybe he. You know what? You know what, Jason? Maybe we're neglecting the fact that maybe he's not. He's he's decided to cast off the shackles of the nuclear family. Oh. as standard and that he's actually adopting the Nordic model okay. of family of family uh, planning or family uh, of relations mm-hmm. and we need to respect his progressiveness all right that's fair enough speaking of progressiveness brian <laughs> yeah do you remember rachel dolezal oh oh she invented black girl magic <laughs> For those of you who don't remember who Rachel Dolezal is, she was an Italian woman. Yes. So she did the cardinal sin of cosplaying something you love a little too far. A little too much. Yeah. So <laughs> Nikechi Amare Diallo, born Rachel Ann Dolezal. So she was a former college instructor, an activist known for presenting herself as black despite having been born to white parents. She also bafflingly claimed Native American descent, and at some point she became National Association for the Advancement of Colored People Chapter President in Spokane, Washington. I remember that coming to light, what was that, 2015 or 2016? Uh, uh, June 2015 is what I have here, yeah. Yeah, I was still covering protests in Ferguson and downtown St. Louis when all that was going on. It was like, 
Ay, ay, ay. That's uh, that's spicy. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, because obviously we can laugh at it as like, oh, she was, you know, she flew too close to the sun. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, what a lot of people were looking at that as. Um, I mean, now it's kind of like she's a joke. It's almost a meme. Uh, right. But at that time, it was well. Here is a white woman pretending to be black. And, you know, she had, like, locks and stuff like that. She attended Howard University. Did she marry a black guy? Yes. Kevin Moore. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at least at least she did that part. At least she was... Sure. And, I mean, that, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> like, it's just but... one of those things. It's just so terrible. You're just trying to find, like, well, find one little thing. Or, like, well, that part's not depressing, I guess. I mean, she named one of her other sons Langston. Like, she's really selling it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Is this, like, a, a really inauthentic person or someone that just does... Like, is it a commitment to a bit? Like, that was the one it thing. Has is to like, be. It like, has to be a commitment to the bit at this point because, by God, she, I mean, she, she was doing... Uh, she was teaching Africa studies at Eastern Washington University. That's so fucking weird. Really bizarre. And it, it, this had been going on for a very long time. We're talking the 90s. I mean, you can love black people and African culture and want to talk about the strife and the history of black and minority folks in this country and other parts of the world without uh, representing yourself one as one when you aren't and taking, you know, potentially the space that a real live black or minority person could take. Right. It, it's that same, it's that same thing that people talk about when they talk about Elizabeth Warren, where, you know, I she, thought you were going to talk about Iggy Azalea, but okay. I'm, I'm not even going to touch that one. I'm going to go straight to Liz Warren. So it's that same thing where I'm not even going to. The gonna, powwow you know, chow. The powwow chow. It's, now, part of that I can kind of see because I had for a long time been told something similar by my family that like, oh, yeah, so-and-so was distantly related to somebody who was of native descent. It's one thing mm -hmm. to do that. And it's another thing to go to a historically black college and, and, and teach African studies and just, just I, I can't imagine that it was like a comedy of errors where one lie went too far. You know what I mean? It wasn't right. just one thing. It can't have just been one thing. No, it, it's a pattern like, of behavior. Someone's of a, a lot of willful decisions. Maybe it started out with a misconception. Could have but been. It became a pattern of willful choices and actions that led to this really fucking part. Just like out of all of the things that were going on at that point in time, like post Mike Brown. Yeah, what a time for that to come out too. Just like I mean, there was just enough. There was like there wasn't enough shit going on with. And then all of a sudden, the the white lady with with braids is is been portraying herself as being a, from African and partial Native American descent for like what was it like fifteen years? Yeah, it was it was a very very long time. Yeah. Well, the reason why I'm talking about Rachel Dolezal is because she's in the news again. Do you know why? She has information that will lead to the arrest of Hillary Clinton. That and <laughs> that and she started an OnlyFans. I heard about this. I heard about this. And yeah. the uh, the and the nudes have leaked. So I gotta ask: Is is she stacked? 
I mean, she's fit. Is she taking care of herself? She's eating good? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's got like a runner's body. Relatively fit. But that's not the goofiest part of all this. The goofiest part of all this is that according to, and I hate that I'm fucking quoting these people, but according to TMZ, the reason she's posting risque pics is to show her love for Rihanna's lingerie line. She says this is to pay homage to Savage X Fenty, Rihanna's popular line of underwear. The underwear look great, no question. But why Rachel Dolezal decided to post photos in this lingerie, it all smacks of, hey, no one's talked about me for like seven years. I better get back in the news again. Yeah, I'm like, kind of just did like a no safe search dealing yeah. on Google. And like, <laughs> and it's like your like, aunt's got an OnlyFans. That's really, I, I mean, mean, like she doesn't look bad, but there's like, no, 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 no shame there. She's being free with her body and whatever, but it's very questionable. Like it's the same reason that Octomom did a porno. It's the same thing. Yeah. Well, cashing in. Yeah, sure. I guess that's what you do. Yeah. Like, I mean like no shame in it, but like, it just, it's just like another layer of weirdness. Uh, we have to maintain here on this podcast that sex work is work. I I, I hold these truths to be self-evident that sex work is work. No question. I will I will stand up in a court of goddamn law and put my hand up with that one. No, that's fine. Sex work is work. I think it's crypto scam of the week time. Oh shit! What's our crypto scam of the week? Did they get Daquan? Did they fucking uh, they 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 bang bang him? Uh, you know, I have not heard any updates on Daquan, but I will say that this one is really special to me because it comes out of the District of Utah. Okay. Salt Lake City, baby. Ooh, beautiful mountains. Oh, yeah. Courtesy of the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, justice.gov, we have a press release. This one gets a little weird. Not because it's all that unusual, but just because, like I said somewhere else, someone actually got in trouble for wire fraud relating to crypto. Oh, shit. What what do we got here? So a guy named James Wolfgram, two M's, uh, a.k.a. Samisi Niyu, a.k.a. James Vaca Niyu, aged 43, of Spanish Fork, Utah, and two of his businesses, Bitex LLC and Ohana Capital Financial Incorporated, have been charged by a federal grand jury in the District of Utah with seven felony counts in connection with multiple financial fraud Schemes. Wolfgram himself getting five counts of wire fraud, two counts of money laundering. Bytex named in two counts of wire fraud. OCF named in two counts of wire fraud and two counts of money laundering. So <laughs> for the past four years, he represented himself as a multimillionaire who made his fortune on crypto. Not unusual. Happens all the time. To gain trust with his victims, he used images of crypto wallets holding million dollars worth of crypto, a suitcase full of cash, sports cars, yada, yada. You know the deal if you've seen an influencer worth his salt. Well, of course, some of these images were either faked or taken from somewhere else. They collected about $1.7 million from two victims. That's just two. You got to understand, that's two victims just for selling 
what they called a Bitex Blockbuster. What is a Bitex Blockbuster? It is a cryptocurrency mining machine, supposedly able to mine an extreme amount of cryptocurrency in a short amount of time, which, of course, as you and I both know, is not real. Mm -mm. So according to the indictment, Wolfgram and Bitex displayed one of these so-called machines in an office space that they had rented out in, again, Spanish Fork, Utah, connected to a monitor that appeared to display the machine's real-time mining operations. Of course, the machine was a fake. The monitor displayed a pre-recorded loop that simply looked like it was mining. So, essentially, they came in like the best snake oil salesman with a fake machine that didn't work. They sold access to the machine. They told people that they would keep their money on deposit until... They got the funds. So so the structure is classic Ponzi. We have a machine that's going to make you money. Give us X amount of dollars now. Once the mining finishes, we will give you the proceeds. We will give you the money. But of course, never happened. So here's the other thing. Are you familiar with uh, Sports City? complex vaguely sports city complex and the land that it's on in draper utah is essentially indoor soccer things like that they agreed to purchase the complex and the land for 15 million dollars sometime last year they took possession of the property took over billing for all the customers of sports city but never paid utilities, never paid expenses, and never made payments to the seller on the contract. As part of the fraud, Wolfgram gave the victims a $1 million check that, of course, bounced. So, um, No way. Yeah, I know. So the FBI got involved. The, you know, the Department of Justice got, got all wrapped up in it. Just just an amazing bit of fraud, because not only did they start with, hey, give me your money and I'll give you money back from crypto, but then they also started doing, it feels like mob shit, where they do, it's not a bust out, really, but yeah, like, like it's, it's definitely like strong arming people and kind of pushing your influence on them in a way that's really hard for them to resist. Boy, you know, uh, I kind of wish that, that everybody who did crypto shit that scammed people out of money, you know, got this kind of indictment. It's not going to happen to everyone, but, you know, Daquan, maybe. We don't know for sure about him. I haven't followed up on that. But but this one in particular, you know, Utah, good on you. That's the only thing I can think of to say positive about Utah right now is this thing. <laughs> That's about all I got. So can you imagine? Just think about it. Just this this. Flim Flam artist comes up to you and says, I got a magic machine that's going to give you money off of crypto, but I just need to see your credit card. <laughs> I just need to get that money up front. Can I get the last three digits there on the back? Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, I just need, so the, the sisters back at St. Aloysius can uh, uh. get you taken care of. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, 
I feel like probably in the next two, four years, I would probably say by the time there's the next bull run crypto, yeah, it's going to be a shit show for scammers. Well, I mean, like, as though it isn't already, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to get worse. Let, yeah. let me let me let me phrase that to a finer point. I think it's going to be a shit show for scammers as far as like legal entities coming down on them. I don't even know if it's going to be necessarily like higher regulation, but I think. I think it's going to be a lot harder for people. I mean, like sh- stuff like that. Like the thing that that get, that sunk those guys is they weren't fucking scamming people uh, with like BSC rug pulls or something. They were like fucking with people in real life. They were doing. They were too exposed, and and that's how what makes crypto so appealing to scammers and con men is you mm-hmm. can do a lot of this shit in the shadows. It's when you start doing shit in the fucking in the fucking meat world with your fleshy hot dog fingers. That's when that's when shit comes down on you. Yeah. So yeah, like that's just kind of fucking crazy. Just the fact that they were able to get so much. I don't know. I feel like there's like an upper limit on some of these scams. You know what I mean? Like there's there's only so much you can take, right? Or there's only so much that you can get someone to agree to give you. There's, it's one thing to defraud individual investors. It is another to pass bad checks for a milli. You know what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> I think it's a level of hubris that I think I haven't seen as far as crypto scams thus far, at least for those who have gotten caught. You know what I mean? They really just fucking did it, man. Like they went out there and they said, uh, I'm just going to fucking flail my arms around and fuck <laughs> up a bunch of shit and leave all these really big paper trails and piss off people. Yeah, they were definitely not the slyest. They probably thought they were being slick, too. That's like the sad part. They probably thought like, oh, yeah, we got this shit. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, if you count up those felony counts. I mean, that's probably that's probably close to life or at least natural life. Yeah. I mean, uh, seven, uh, seven felony counts uh, for just the individual. And then the two different companies each have two felony counts. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it, there's so much legal liability that they're going to be falling under. There's not really much else to do for them. They just got to you know, take whatever co- deal they can get and they're get out. Yeah, there's no silver lying to that no. situation. <laughs> the silver lying is that maybe you get to see a family member again right? in that situation. You got to wonder what starts someone down a path of just digging that hole deeper and deeper. Is it just that you're, you're, you're sweating so much that you, you fat finger shit? I don't know. Like, it's just, are you just stupid? Are you just, do you think other people are stupid? Because unfortunately... Everything has so much of a paper trail these days. That it's eventually going to catch up to you. So, Brian, normally we save the, the gross shit for later in the show, but today... We have a smorgasbord of it. We have a smorgasbord of it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you into the deep and seedy underbelly of the Web 1.0 world, starting in 1996. That's right. Those of you who have been lobbying for it, we're talking about Rotten.com. Is Rotten.com the original Gross Pictures website? I mean, I feel like there's a trifecta of Rotten, Style Project, and Ogreish. I want to say it was, I mean, 96 seems about right to be sure. one of the first. There's not a lot of sites where you can really point to. Mm-hmm. There's, 
yeah, Ogrish, Style Project, and Rotten. Those are the ones that really come up in conversation when you're talking about these kind of sites. Yeah, I mean, I guess like some extent, like I think there was like some other shock site. I mean, something awful had some shock image stuff. The something awful forums really traded in in republishing stuff that was already out there. And then you've got stuff that we talk about in the shock.jpg thing where it's like a single serving site where it's a single image, you know what I mean? Like even mm-hmm. even uh, Goatsy where it had multiple images, really you came there for for Kirk Johnson's distended asshole. So yeah, Rotten Ogrish Style Project, they were almost aggregators in the way that say a BuzzFeed would be an aggregator today. I, and I will, I will say here, say here right now, I, I would rather prefer rotten.com being updated than Buzzfeed existing. I get that. I understand that. And I, I kind of partially agree with that. I also come from a much meaner cynical internet than what we have right now. I would rather have a mean cynical internet than the hyper corporatized, uh, surveillance capitalism hellscape that we have right now. Right. And, and there's, there's something to be said for it. Now, what's interesting to me is Rotten.com was not necessarily founded, but the domain name was registered by a guy named Thomas Dell. Mm-hmm. Thomas Dell was a software engineer at Apple and Netscape. So this is a guy who definitely had his finger on the pulse of the early internet. I mean, consider 96, Apple and Netscape, that was the two places where what we would think of as as web anything would have started. Sure. I mean, you're looking at Microsoft, Apple, Sun Microsystems, Cisco. Yeah, we don't even really talk about Sun or Cisco anymore in this conversation. We think it starts with Bill Gates and and Netscape and stuff like that. Well, I mean, it starts with Xerox, but that's a whole nother, yeah, that's a yeah, whole Yeah, I mean, if yeah. we really want to get into the, the cobwebs here, but um, yeah, like 1996, like that's a pretty early start for an endeavor like this that was online for over 20 years. Yeah, I want to, let's say, uh, 96 to 2012. So yeah, that would have been, well, almost 20. It was a 16, 16 years or so. Well, it, well, it went down, I think, in 2016 or 2017. I don't think it's been up since, because if I remember correctly, September 7th of 2016 or 2017 would have been the, the, the last time that anyone really saw it as a live site. I imagine Dell... Like uh, the guy behind Style Project just kind of at one point was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to wash my hands of this and go do something else. Consider the fact that he, you know, he'd been at Apple since the early days. I mean, there's really no reason for him to keep, keep that going, you know. Dude? But yeah, I always have had a really soft spot for Rotten.com. It was probably one of the first websites that, didn't candy coat things I came across mm-hmm. as a teenager. And I didn't really like the gross pictures. I mean, they were curiosities and stuff right. like that. There are photos, unfortunately, that are burned into the back of my mind, of course, of prolapses and failed shotgun suicides and stuff like that. But what I really liked about Rotten.com is that they had a, a component to their website called the Daily Rotten which mm. was kind of like FARC for, uh, <laughs> for, for guys that listen to like Dying Fetus and Cannibal Corpse. 
in KFFD, KMFDM. While I really enjoyed the Daily Rotten and appreciated it for what it was, I think the thing that really got me that held my attention was the Rotten Library, which was a collection of short essays on a variety of topics um, from Kellogg's Cornflakes to Road Rage to the Choking Game to Hollow Earth to Muhammad Atta, Bob Ross, Temp Agencies, The Shroud of Turin. It was a congregation of words, essays, diatribes about things that would now be talked about or written about like in Salon or Daily Costs or covered in podcasts like uh, QAnon Anonymous, True Anon, Behind the Bastards and stuff like that. This was kind of like a secret history library as it were hosted on the internet the last thing that was updated on it was a uh a Patton oswald interview which is oh, wow. uh, i remember being pretty interesting but i remember just really just devouring it because at that time the way i grew up i didn't really like believe a lot what was in front of me i was a, i was a problem child let's just put it okay. like that i was a kid that 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 the larger world and particularly the authority that was beaming down me had a hard time understanding so i of course in turn did not understand it did not respect it and felt like you know i feel like there's a lot of bullshit here i wonder (laughs) if this is all just a facade and so the rotten library i would say along with grail marcus's lipstick traces uh, which is a great book stuff like that really kind of got my head turning and radicalizing me and and really having me think differently and i imagine that was very dangerous as a is a 13 year old in a fucking shitty north county suburb in missouri you know like i was t- i was like talking about gd bore talking about the sex pistols and stuff like that and like which just sounds all really fucking blasé by today's terms but you know 15 20 years ago that was kind of fucking out there like i uh i was a fucking space cadet you know like and not to fucking blow smoke up my own ass here but it was like it it was really weird during and after ferguson and most certainly during the 2016 election and just seeing like people catching up to what i already had been kind of wallowing around in since i was like in 10th grade it was really weird to be like oh so it took all of this bad shit for people to like kind of get on the line that I've been walking for a while, which is not a thing like, Oh, look at me. But it was like, God damn, that took too long. <laughs> like, like I'm glad y'all are here. Right. But like this shit was fucked with like, bef- like during the Iraq war. I mean, and the Iraq war leftism was, you know, Fahrenheit nine eleven. Yeah, toothless. Oh yeah, it was. It was. I was a very, I was a very fun person to take to house parties when I was nineteen. But like being from the Midwest, going to a house party, or, or even like you know a bunch of like Webster art school kids, like being like such an edge lord against the Iraq War and George Bush and all that, people are just be like, Jesus Christ, man, just just give me the fucking blunt, yep. man. You're hogging it. <laughs> God, You're scaring like, the hose. It literally yeah. was scaring the hose. Yeah. I. There, that that nineteen year old Brian did not get as much plays as as you may think. 
I can imagine, because uh, I was very much the same. So the one thing that, that really sparked almost a Proustian reverie in me was we had talked about, in a previous episode, we'd gone at length about the webcomic Jerk City. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're familiar with Jerk City. One of the creators of Jerk City, remember his name, Tristan Farnan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you also remember, Rotten.com had a great editorial slash commentary archive called The Gaping Maw. I remember this. I remember reading it a few times before it got shut down. Right. And so in 2000, The Gaping Maw was founded. Well, Tristan Farnan wrote a good chunk of those articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he went on to do Leisure Town. He went on to do Jerk City. Um and any time you see the character of Spigot in Jerk City, that's Tristan Farnan. Mm-hmm. There, I, I, I neglected to mention this in the Jerk City episode. I want to get this in here real quick. Because Scott Adams, every once in a while, will be in the news. Scott Adams was just in the news because uh, 77 different newspapers just dropped Dilbert. Amazing. I know. It's fantastic. So Tristan Farnan did an amazing re-edit of some Dilbert cartoons that he called The Dill Hole. And the Dill Hole was, was a series of re-edited Dilbert cartoons to be about, uh, very much like Jerk City, about spurting and about dicks. Yeah, they're, they're, very, they're very early 2000s, like, edgelord humor. Um, I, I'm, I'm not too proud to say that there was a couple, like, real embarrassed chuckles from some of these, particularly... Uh, here comes the cock boat. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I remember Here these co- getting... Co- I thought he re- said cake. <clears throat> set sail for dick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember some of these getting reposted in Fiad, you know, back yep. in the day and not knowing yep. the origin. But that one, the, the here comes the cock boat one, mm-hmm. the, the line set sail for dick has set been really... Set sail for dick, yeah. Has been burned in my brain. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was... Uh, reading that was just like our, a very short but very cathartic moment of like, oh, yeah. I thought that was like the funniest thing for the better part of a day One at one point in my youth. I was like, set sail for dick. It was interesting because you came to Rotten from a different angle. You came from the library, right? The Rotten Library, the encyclopedia, as it were. I mean, like, I think how I found Rotten was probably finding, was probably from like Style Project. And, right. I mean, it yeah, was like they, well, they were all kind of they, they all kind of knew each other. They all kind of had that same kind of vibe. Yeah, I, I mean, like there was like kind of like a very early blog element mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, Rotten as well, and then like you know, it would update a couple times a week. And it would be like a Futurama Futurama porn gif or something, or you know, something weird like that. But but then there was also the meat and potatoes of like the shock images and the gore and all that. But when the library became a thing i mean you know there was like rape my boner and shit like that and uh rape my poo and stuff that i did not enjoy nearly as much but like i thought that i thought the the library was interesting because again like the secret history thing i thought that was really appealing and really intriguing and so yeah i mean like the i i you know i came i came there for the gross pictures i stayed for the articles about uh the Kellogg guy, like, loving the shit. And <laughs> the hating, trenchant hating. commentary, yes. Oh, the Dilbert hole. The yeah. Dilbert hole. Yeah, 
they had there, there was a bunch of offshoots actually of Rotten. Uh, there was the Rotten Deadpool. Uh, the Deadpool, of course, if you're not familiar with the Deadpool, it's a game in which players pick 10 people they believe would die over the course of the next 12 months. A point was awarded to a player for each of their correct picks. A pick did not count if the if the pick was executed or murdered <laughs> after the 12 months had passed. So there was the Rotten Deadpool. They also had an online database of notable people called the NNDB. I forget what NNDB stood for. Notable names, sorry. Notable names database. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Soylent Communications, of course, that was Dell, a sole proprietorship that also hosted Rotten.com, was an intelligence aggregator of noteworthy persons, highlighting their interpersonal connections. So a couple of years after NNDB launched, which was 2002, so 2008, they launched a visual tool called the NNDB Mapper. Now, it's way defunct now because it required Flash, but mm-hmm. it was a way for you to kind of go, okay, here's, here's a person that's notable, right? So it was business people, government officials, you know, whatever extensive bibliographies all these things about celebrities in in a more shorthand term but then with the mapper you could actually see these connections between them so for the normies out there say you wanted to know about nicholas cage well first thing you would know is that he's a relative of francis ford coppola mm-hmm. right uh, but then it would lead you down this this rabbit hole of, oh, but he's related to so-and-so, and then she's got a cousin who's so-and-so. The Guardian even called it uh, the new who's who. This was back in uh, 20, 2009. This was, I mean, IMDB existed, but the NNDB was extremely extensive. I mean, we're talking about 25,000 entries. Right. Yeah, I remember it being. I remember messing with it a few times and being really impressed with the scope of the project. The things they were able to dig up in a in, in almost not pre Wikipedia, but concurrent with. You know what I mean? Like the, Wikipedia was still in its early days at the time, but I didn't know who George Barris was. George Barris for those of you who do not know, did designed the 1966 Batmobile. Huh. You know, I didn't know who John Frank Stevens was, but he was the chief engineer of the Panama Canal. 25,000 of these tenuous connections between people. That was another one. I mean, the gaping mall was great. The notable names database was great. Mm-hmm. So, Aside from just showing you the worst of humanity via Rotten, Soylent Communications, which, again, owned or slash hosted or did whatever to all these different sites, also brought a lot of weird, interesting information out there. I feel like this is a part of the internet that we've really lost. Well, I think it's been replaced with podcasts. And this is what this is kind of why I think it was interesting that that, that you suggested it for for an episode subject because we've kind of taken that job. The, the you, it, it, this form of media podcasting, yeah. I mean, there's stuff 
that I've seen covered on podcasts in the last couple years, you know, notable podcasts that really like impressed me. Like I didn't think like right now, as we're recording this, Truanon is doing a series on Synonym, which is basically this exploitative, psychologically abusive program or Synonym. Yeah, I think that's what's called. I have like these weird things. I think I'm getting, I think this is like just a, a side effect of drinking too much in my 20s. Is there was like a time <laughs> in my life, not too re- recently, like I was talking about the Korean War, and I'm like, am I saying Korea right? We did a whole bit on a previous episode about you not being able to see, say Korea. God, yeah, I mean, just like. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, like when like I meet like a young person, they tell me like how many times they're like doing like psychedelics a week. I'm like, <laughs> listen, you're gonna pay for that down the road. <laughs> like gonna one day, one day you. you're gonna yeah. be one day you're gonna be like staring at like dryer lint and being like, the fuck is this? Has this always been a thing? Like you're like calling up like, hey, dryer lint. Has it always looked like? Has it always felt like this? And someone just your friend. You know, from college, just being like, "Hey, um, are you taking the breakup? Okay, like, what's yeah. up, man? Like, <laughs> yeah. do I need to call the cops? Like, do uh, do I need to come over like with some soup? Like, we can watch Netflix, whatever you want, man. Just, uh, I'm a little worried. No, man, I I know I know that because I just had a moment a couple weeks ago, and this was pre-COVID." So I can't even blame it on the brain fog, but I had this moment. I couldn't remember what the word for detergent was. Oh no, you're uh, you're doing the Homer thing after he stopped doing the uh, the cyclopedia or the the dictionary tapes, the vocabulary no. tapes. So he's like, you know, that thing. No, it was even worse because I I called up to my wife, my my, my long suffering wife, who thank God has never listened to an episode of the show. And I called up to her. I said, where is the laundry sauce? I said, <laughs> fucking laundry sauce, Brian. So I've been there recently. <laughs> I can't even blame it on the COVID. <laughs> I wish I could. That's that's awesome. Laundry sauce. Oh, fucking laundry sauce. So anyways, Synanon, I think is what's called. Yeah, Synanon. Synanon. Um, Synanon. Like, I just can't imagine that ever being covered uh so specifically so personally through normal media passages or you know there would be too much gatekeeping there would be too much uh oh i don't know if standards and practices is gonna like that yeah you won't find a 60 minutes episode of that i i I get that but there is also like there's a high degree of specialization and this is part of why i think to really dig into Synanon or any of these things. There's a different freedom for consumption of ideas and commentary and subject matter through things like, I mean, like it's, it's kind of a regurgitation in some ways of what I liked so much about early aughts internet, right? You know, pre web 2.0, pre social media, um, pre hyper capitalistic exploitation. I mean, I, I, we see this in podcasts already because, like, the CIA has its own fucking podcast now. That you know, well, at least the what first the one. What the fuck is the CIA podcast going to be about? I this is what I want to know. I I I didn't bring this up earlier in the show because I thought it was so fucking bizarre. I didn't know where to even stick this in the show, but I got to ask this question: What the fuck is that show even going to be about? 
There's nothing that show can be about that won't put us on a list. Hey, uh, remember that time when we shot Kennedy? <laughs> yeah, man. Remember what we did in the Philippines? Right. What the fuck? <laughs> There's no end point to that. I think that's going to be just like... Just like Barack Obama's podcast, where it's going to last like five episodes, and then they're just going to quietly disappear off the internet. Remember Renegades, Brian? Remember Renegades? I don't. Good, because it was bad. What what TrueAnon's doing right now is kind of... And, and QAnon Anonymous, I think, has done a similar thing. And Behind the Bastards, you know, I would keep going back to this, because I think those three podcasts, they do really good research, and they tackle interesting topics. Uh, don't don't stop don't stop listening uh, to us right now to go listen yeah, to any don't, of them. <laughs> don't remind them of a better podcast to go listen to, please. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and you know what? I'll, I'll even shout out to two defunct podcasts that I really fucking loved, and I'm really bummed that they're gone. Grub Stakers and oh. Eat the Rich. I really both fantastic yeah really miss those podcasts i thought they were really great and it's a shame that they're not around because i thought they also did very interesting research and topics oh yeah and uh i think uh i don't really know what happened to eat the rich i don't know if those, they just it just became too much of a time sink because i thought they had great chemistry i know why cross takers doesn't exist anymore because <laughs> john p mccarthy was trying to fucking just get assassinated like getting at a bagel shop or something it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be found dead in miami there was a great piece salon put out actually and again i don't say that lightly it takes me a very it's been a, a while so it's it, been about 10 years since you could really say that with any regularity so in about 2001 salon came out with a piece about rotten and it's really well sourced there's some really great quotes in it from soylent rotten.com and this is quoting the Salon piece quoting Soylent from his manifesto, so we're, we're three quotes deep here now already. Rotten.com serves as a beacon to demonstrate that censorship on the internet is impractical, unethical, and wrong. To censor this site, it is necessary to censor medical texts, history texts, evidence rooms, courtrooms, art museums, libraries, and other sources of information vital to the functioning of a free society. Holy shit, what a quote. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a very old school, like, 90s left-leaning libertarian viewpoint. And I can't necessarily disagree wrong. with it. But no, he's, he's not. not. No, I, I do not disagree. Oh, I'm not saying, I'm just saying that, like, that is a certain passion and viewpoint. Sorry, I hear libertarian and I immediately think that person's wrong because, you know, age of consent laws or whatever. It is really weird to think that libertarians used to just be guys that thought that people should have you know uh, certain freedoms mm -hmm. and that these freedoms should apply to all individuals regardless of state and origin and now it's just really kind of like i just want to do uh special k and uh vote for ron paul granted i mean i i, I want to do both of those things too but i also want to be able to <laughs> call me a libertarian if you want but i think that's a kind of a distasteful association these days but i mean even oh, Cindy it's a Cullen, dirty it's a dirty word don't i mean like i worked with a guy at my current job who i was like an old school libertarian and like i would tell people that and they'd be like oh what is he talking about Asian consent laws? Like, no, he actually yeah. talks about like individual rights, but in, in a collective sense, which is like a, a pretty much a dying art among like old hillbilly guys. 
so so in the in the two thousands in the early two thousands, like Cindy Cohen, who if you remember the name, I I heard the name quite a bit back in the day because she was legal counsel for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Ooh, I haven't heard that name in a while. It's been a while. They really haven't had a lot of cause to kind of get up in arms about anything. But, you know, Cindy Cohen once said about Rotten, not necessarily, well, not necessarily about Rotten, but uh, about distasteful speech or distasteful images online. Her quote there was, just because it's in bad taste doesn't mean you get to censor it. And unfortunately, Rotten fell victim to that. There were several laws that came about, you know, the Child Online Protection Act, if you remember this one from Mm -hmm. like 1999 or the early 2000s, consolidation of AOL Time Warner or, you know, ISP saying, you know, we don't we don't want this website on our ISP or whatever. If the ISP decides to kick them off, they're they're as good as gone. Mm -hmm. You know, German rulings basically saying that, you know, from the German family ministry sending threatening letters to them. You're endangering the youth of Germany. You know, any minors cannot download the website from Germany. It really almost became a free speech issue. Yeah, it's kind of wild. I remember uh, little bits of this. I mean, it, Rotten wasn't the only website. I mean, this threatened... I mean, it threatened, obviously, things like Style Project, but I think, like, websites like even Something Awful, which were half as vulgar at best uh or right because they were just reposting images from elsewhere or just like the original content you know it there was also some anti-pornography stuff that was i think either passed or was threatening the past in the early aughts that was like well okay yeah i can see the argument of you wanting to regulate this sort of material online but it also has unforeseen consequences to against material and media that has no graphic or no pornographic value to it. And so it that is the issue with censorship in general and censorship specifically on the internet is you think you're attacking one thing, but you're, you're really, you have, it has such a huge ripple effect that is either intentional or unintentional that it is, it's, I don't know if there's a way to ethically censor the internet because the internet itself is, it's supposed to be unfiltered, unfettered it is supposed to be, it was supposed to be, if you were probably to ask a bunch of guys that did DMT at some microsystems <laughs> in the late eighties and early nineties, right. if you ask them, it was supposed to be the last wild west, the right. last congregation point for humanity that where there would be no boundaries of, of race, locality, class, that we could all interact on what would generally be considered equal footing or at least a better equal footing than what we had in the real like physical space. It was supposed to be the thing that fucking made everything better. And we could argue that it hasn't. <laughs> no, it really hasn't. I can, I can even point to specifically the Child Online Protection Act. I mentioned it previously. Donna Rice Hughes, if you remember that name. You know the name Donna Rice Hughes? I'm familiar. So Donna Rice Hughes testified before Congress, and she used Rotten.com as an example 
to push this Child Online Protection Act as an exemplar of, quote, violent and bloody horrors from which children should be shielded. Now, I'm a father of two 12-year-olds. I do not want my children seeing Marilyn Monroe's corpse. That's not a thing that I think they should be Mm -hmm. seeing. But at the same time, I'm also saying, like, you shouldn't necessarily restrict the access of anyone else to see it. You know what I mean? Like, there's a... It becomes an issue of individual responsibility. I don't know. Like, again, like, the the internet is just the nature of it. It's it's always going to find a way to skirt whatever regulations, whatever censorship you impose on. And typically when people find the workarounds against legislation or censorship or firewalls ends up being more destructive or more out there or more in your face than whatever was happening beforehand. Because you push back and then someone's going to push back against the pushback. That's Mm -hmm. just the way it goes. Rotten did some stuff that I still find morally gray. They posted crime scene photos of the Nicole Simpson, Ron Goldman murder. They posted photos of the autopsy of Tupac Shakur. Those things, I would put that under the umbrella of an invasion of privacy because Nicole Brown Simpson is dead. Mm -hmm. Tupac is dead. Mm-hmm. Like you, they, <clears throat> they can't necessarily, uh, even their families, because again, this is the, the early internet. There was not a lot of regulation about that. They couldn't necessarily, they had no recourse. That's the long and short of it. Mm-hmm. They, they had no, because Soylent was, you know, uh, an anonymous person. Uh, they, they, they posted things that were that weren't necessarily even true. I mean, we talked about how uh, Queen Elizabeth died, and in September of '97, they they posted a supposed an alleged photo of Princess Diana's mangled corpse. Now, of course, it was later revealed to be a fake, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that at the time. No, we sure didn't. Kind of like how TMZ is now for the rubbernecking people who you know kind of want to follow celebrity tragedy, I guess. Yeah. That, that was where you would go. I'm not saying what they necessarily did was all right, but what I'm saying is that there were so many things, 9-11, they had a series of photos called Swan Dive. Mm-hmm. This was photos of people diving from the burning World Trade Center. Yeah, the the falling man and all of that. The falling man, yes. That 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 uh, Tom Janad uh, photo. They had that the moment it was available. So yeah. it technically was news. You know what I mean? Like there's a there's a fine line between exploitation and truth, and I think that Rotten really walked it constantly. And the fact that we would sacrifice that in the name of something like you know protecting our kids is just it's baffling to me yeah i uh i totally agree oh, okay oh, so after yeah. after after that i don't think we need a shock.jpg i think this entire uh, segment has been our shock.jpg this week we will put off uh, that for the future episodes <laughs> i've had a photo of a 
uh, suicide jumper, cr- you know, crumpled off the the back end of a Volkswagen, and it looks like the Philippines or Korea, kind of just like hanging out in my my bars on my browser here for like most of this podcast is like clicking around, looking at different things to talk about and just be like, Oh yeah, there's a dead guy. So we're going to jump right to one of our favorite segments of the show. One of mine at least is the breath mint. We're going to talk about things that will maybe be a little bit of a soothing balm for you and anyone who is listening to the show who maybe needs a break from the constant death and destruction of the world around us or the collapse of capitalism as we know it. Brian, is there something specific you wanted to talk about today for the breath mint? I'm still making my way through death loop. I've had a pretty good time with it. I have, uh, Oh, I, fantastic game. Love it a lot. Yeah. I have been playing with the RTX crap or whatever in the graphic setting, the, the super high fidelity lighting and all of that, like the oh, volumetric. I, th- I, I thought you had it on the, the Xbox. Yeah. You can do that on the Xbox. It does ray tracing. Oh, That's wow. what I'm talking about. Ray tracing. Sorry. Oh, wow. So, um, so I found that the ray playing with the ray tracing on and having online where a, mm-hmm. someone could come in as a Juliana and, and fuck with me. I found like the, the frame rate just couldn't keep up with that action. Yeah. Online. Yeah, definitely. So I have been playing and maybe I'm spoiling part of the game for myself, but I got a little too annoyed of like finally making progress on a loop and having mm-hmm. like just some high level Juliana come in and just fucking just ruin my shit so i've been playing offline and when you play offline the game just spawn juliana every once in a while and that's a little bit more my difficulty i think when i am near the end of the game i might go back to laying online people wreck my shit but it would suck being like oh i just threw away like a half hour worth of progress because Mm -hmm. of uh, someone with like uh, they're f- fucking with a T1 connection in the middle of the ocean got connected to my game and they're just fucking low they're fucking hyping bastarding like it's fucking CS 1.6 all around I'm like this sucks they're anyways. lag switching they're lag switching on you yes god they're fucking bastards anyways bastards. I really enjoyed that I I'm starting uh, I did not realize and this is one of those things about modern games that kind of fucks me up sometimes is that sometimes they don't do the best explanation of what how you progress through it okay through the story or the meat of the main mission of the game and so for like two days i was just like killing the visionaries and doing like all that little piddly shit and it was like what happened to like the weird like little interstitial like cartoons and then i went back and like oh there's like a whole main storyline that that you weren't following. That, like, I clicked out of <laughs> and, like, have been neglecting. But now I'm, like, going through the main storyline stuff and having, like, some nice powers and all that. And being a little bit, like, not necessarily overpowered, but the it's a little bit more even difficulty for me. So that part's fine. I've really enjoyed it. I haven't really watched any movies. I rewatched Blade Runner, the final cut for the first time in a long while. And I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a really good movie. Like that's really, I don't really like that viewing didn't really add anything. I was like, Oh yeah, this is still really like a beautiful movie and really interesting. And I can see why Harrison Ford hated talking about it for the better part of like 30 years. And so I I have to ask because every time somebody brings up Blade Runner, I got to ask, have you ever seen the cut with his voiceover? Yes. I think that's the 
I think that's probably the cut that I ran from like a blockbuster in high school. Yeah, the VHS cut that we all kind of saw at that time period. But man, I, I got to think like people who are just coming up nowadays who haven't seen that cut and they're seeing this this much quieter, much grimmer film noir uh, flick without the voiceover. I feel like there's some context missing. It's it's like if you haven't seen the Love Conquers All cut of Brazil, you can't appreciate yeah. the grimness yeah. of the of the of the director's cut. Yeah, there there's almost there's almost a conversation happening between the theatrical cut and then the director's cut because yeah, Ridley Scott removing the voiceover decades later, it definitely improves the film. I think it's it's a it's a much more interesting pace. It's quieter. And- Yes, and it lets you chew the scenery and really take in the atmosphere and the characters. And the sound design, and it gives you that music, and it has that poetry almost where there's there's moments of just quiet contemplation. And that's the thing I think that uh, the sequel, 2049, really excels at, is, that, is, is taking those quiet moments. So yeah, I... I I love 2049. I've seen mm-hmm. that movie twice in theaters and loved Fantastic. it both times. I think it is a beautiful film. I think it is incredibly well acted. I think a lot of really great things about it. And I used to get really mad about people who didn't like it. And I think in some ways, I think your relationship with cinema at large Mm-hmm. determines how you interact with something like Blade Runner 2049 because I think if you're a real popcorn loving motherfucker which is nothing nothing wrong with that but mm-hmm. if you've never watched like a slower like an even like an old French film or if you've never watched like the Maltese Stalker. Falcon not even Stalker and not even anything is 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 high concept and is uh uh avant-garde is that i'm like just like an old movie of like you've never watched like gentlemen's gentlemen prefer blondes or something like that like that's what i'm getting at like if if your relationship with cinema begins with spielberg like yeah i guess you could have a hard time with 2049 uh or even the original blade runner 2049 to me is a story about a man trying to understand his identity and uh, and trying to figure out if there is some sort of greater meaning to his existence than what he is currently living. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually very, not necessarily brave, but I think it's it was a good risk to have that payoff be that he is not special. Even though yes. he is a, yes. a artificial human being that by all regards would be a scientific breakthrough. In that world... Mm-hmm. He is just another schmuck. Created in man's image, and yet he is just another man. Like, there's a there's a certain poetry to that that I think uh, is explored through the rest of the film. Yeah, uh, and I think Ryan Gosling, to his credit, does a phenomenal job of portraying a character who is just trying to fucking keep it together. And you can see it so subtly even in the first scene in the movie where he's with sapper morgan uh oh the great by, dave batista yeah i think i think dave batista that interaction between him and dave batista i think sets the tone of that movie up so well Absolutely. because they're both so reserved to their their fate that, that oh yeah and the, i i i i really think dave 
Batista for only not even being in that movie for five minutes, I think pulled off a hell of a, a performance of just who. Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, it really sets up this melancholy, this sadness. And, um, it kind of harks back to, um, Roy Batty. It's like a, a bookend. Like you, that's the Roy Batty is reserved to his, his fate of his limited lifespan and that nothing right. can be done about it. And that all of the things that he's seen, all of these special experiences that are unique to his existence are going to die with him. And there's going to be no record. I think with Sapper Morgan is so briefly that you, you experience that character and just the way that he moves and the way that he speaks with, with Kay is also the same sort of sadness of, you know, he has seen, you know, he tells Kay before he is, before he's killed, you know, I've, I've seen miracles that you would never believe. Right. And, and not only is that a, a direct, almost a quote of the original film, but it's also thematically important. You know, it's, it's that I've, I've been witness to a miracle in a way it, not necessarily a miracle, but it, I guess in the context of something like Nope, where they say what's a bad miracle, but I've been witness to something that is mine. It is meaningful in a way that you don't want, not that you can't understand, you don't want to understand. You do not want to interact with me in a way to understand what I, what my, my person in that context, then it's almost a it's almost a warning yeah. because of the way the rest of the film goes. Dennis Deneuve, man, I just I can't I can't not watch something that he made. And the replicant prostitute, she's great. Not the AI, the replicant, the one that that becomes the body double, uh, who's in Station Eleven. Mackenzie Davis. Yes, she is fantastic in that movie, and she is also exceptional in Station Eleven, which is probably my vote for the best piece of media released this year in any okay. any format. Station Eleven. I have very fond memories of going on road trips with two of my close friends. And one of the things we like to do on these long drives is read books to each other mm-hmm. or listen to audio books. And we've done station 11. We've done, um, true grit. And we also did, uh, annihilation. Oh, fantastic. Oh Jeff yeah. Reading, Annih- oh. reading annihilation to each other while driving through Wyoming in the middle of the night. Uh, very top tier experience. Um, so, that stuff, that stuff's meaningful, I guess. I would add to the breath mint for this week. I definitely want to add. I, I talked to you briefly via text about this low budget. They keep wanting to call it a horror movie. I don't necessarily think it's a horror film. I think it's more of a. It's called "We're All Going to the World's Fair." I've seen this on HBO Max. I had no idea if it's good or not. Highly, highly, highly recommended. Now. You got to understand, too, that, like, I'm a David Lynch guy. Mm -hmm. I like movies that are unexpected. I like movies that take turns. You know, like, I like movies that might not be something you would think of as easily parsable. So, We're All Going to the World's Fair is a, like I said, it, it kind of wants to be a found footage movie, but it's also 
something else. It's part docudrama. It's very odd. So the, the, the long and short of it is, for those of you who have not seen the movie, is that a teenage girl named Casey is alone in her attic bedroom on the internet, like we all are at some point in time, right? Right. So a online role-playing horror game called the World's Fair Challenge catches her eye, and so she decides that she's going to do it. And it involves pricking your thumb and watching this video that's supposed to help you undergo some sort of transfiguration. Interesting. Okay. As the film goes on, she starts to lose the plot between reality and dreams and, you know, what, what's actually happening to her and what's actually happening to other people that she sees online. So it's presented in this, in this it's, it's chronological, but it's also in this very chopped up way where you're never really sure that what you're watching is real. Ooh, okay. And that's by design. There's a line that's repeated throughout the movie is, I swear I'm going to disappear and you won't have any idea what happened to me. It's existential. You know, it, it, it's, it's a quiet film, except when it's not. It's a slow burn, so you really have to be in it to win it. It's, you know, it's only an hour. It's an hour and 20-something minutes. It's a short film. Yeah. But there's a lot of interstitial time is what they would call it. You know, there's uh, Jane Schoenbrunn, uh, that's the uh, writer-director who created this film, really, really packs in a lot of stuff in this movie. I recommend it only really if you're a Lynch fan or if someone who can really sit with the movie. Because if you're someone who's going to be checking their phone every 10 minutes, you, you're going to miss it. But yeah, that, that's, that's my big one. Uh, have you caught up with House of the Dragon? Despite your many, many times trying to get me into it, I have not started House of the Dragon because, as I said, I am slowly, slowly, slowly making my way towards the end of Better Call Saul. I'm, I'm all in. I understand that there were some changes in the cast. Yeah, so there is a time jump. Uh, right. There's actually which, which two Which is keeping time... in line with the book, which is keeping in line with Fire and Blood. There is, as far as like actors go, there are two time jumps so far. Because um, there are some scenes where, like, Lenore, Lenaire, uh, uh Corliss's son and daughter are played by different actors for two episodes and then they become their adult actors. So you see them as three different actors in just like six or seven episodes. I think it's really good. That, that second episode, I think was just the fucking pig shit. They had the fucking squirt out so they could actually set the stage. Cause that second episode was like some fucking seriously like season eight shit. I'm like, Oh, this is bad. There's a lot of jumping around stuff. These scenes don't, the scenes aren't flowing each other. I was really fucking worried because like the first episode was very strong. The pilot was very good. And the second episode was like, Oh, I was so fucking worried. Um, but the third episode was definitely redemptive. And, um, and since then I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. Matt Smith is an amazing Damon just playing, uh, I think the closest thing in the original Game of Thrones show to him is Roose Bolton's son, bastard son, Ramsey. 
like I feel like there's a kind of certain conniving and kind of I'm playing a higher game than you, but I'm about, <laughs> but eventually, uh, but it's also that sort of arrogance and that sort of cunning where it eventually catches up to you. Which is a very Game of Thrones thing. Like if you remember Littlefinger and all that. Yeah. Most recent episode uh, was exceptional. And I imagine this weekend's episode will be very good as well. I, I would say one thing that I can really say about House of the Dragon is it seems like a lot of people that really hated Game of Thrones seem to generally enjoy House of the Dragon because it it's a better tone. And the one thing I would say I do not like about so far, and this is expected to run for three or four um, seasons, I, I believe. But so far, there are a lot of interesting characters that are only around for like two episodes and like, eh, well, they're dead. Like is... He, I mean, the actor that portrays him um, has has given a very strong performance, and I think I think it's enough of that character. But like, it would have been, and I know the Targaryens are the focus, but it would have been more interesting. Interesting to have a scene or two where you kind of see his motivations, what makes him tick. The way you're talking about it, man, they're gonna skip so much. They're gonna skip some stuff that could have made an entire season on its own. Yeah, we'll see. I, like I said, I, I think it's going to run for four, three or four seasons, supposedly. 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 I think from what I know of the Dance of Dragons, I think that will be enough. And like, sure. Well, I mean, the problem with Game of Thrones was that HBO and George R. R. Martin, and I think some, some of the principal actors wanted it to go on for like 10, 12 seasons. So they could, could really... Have. So they, but I mean, I think also like I think logistically, do you really want actors, young actors, playing these characters for so long? Like there's there's a there's a a fatigue as an artist as a as a as a performer as a worker that that definitely does not sound attractive. Ray Fiennes played Voldemort for twelve years. True. I'm just saying, like, it happens. And uh, was he, like, fucking stewardesses on planes and shit? He was really, I think he was probably... Ray Fiennes is a beast, baby. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I'm, like, talking about, like, like the uh, actresses that played, like, Arya and Sansa and stuff like that. And, like, and act, I get you know, that, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, um, I don't know if I would want to spend my whole childhood playing the same, you know, character in a TV show. But anyways, but it was... D and D, Dave Benoit yep. and what's his face, they wanted to just rush through it so they could do their what the Confederacy one TV show that didn't go anywhere, and then they also or their to, Star Wars movie that never happened. Yeah, well, I think anyone's Star Wars movie is ever going to happen. They're just basically going to. I think what what Disney is going to do with Star Wars properties from now on is really scrape the extended fiction and flip it around and then produce it on sets with uh, uh, produce shows with a budget of like a, a, a roughly the same budget as a palette of Lunchables. Don't get me started. Don't get me started, man. I think the funniest thing about the Mandalorian was like, Oh, everyone's like, Oh, it's in 4k. And it's like, yeah, so you can see how cheap everything is. <laughs> Like this doesn't. This looks like I've seen. I've seen high school productions of no, Death of a Salesman that on. had better production values. No, John Favreau. Anyway, uh, the, <laughs> fucking John Favreau. There are 
scenes in the Mandalorian that you could, if you were to take them and show them to someone in the nineties, they'd be like, where'd you get this weird Mexican bootleg? Oh fuck. Okay. Well, <laughs> Oh my, am I, am I, am I, am I, Oh, I'm sorry. You mad? You mad, Jason? Just a little bit. So, uh, well, how, uh, how about this? How about you take your little baby Yoda and you yeah. stick him up your ass? Yes, okay, yeah. Well, yeah. Set sail for cock, baby Yoda. Uh, his name's Grogu, and I will hear no such of that nonsense. So, why don't you grow grew a good show? God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I expect that's going to be the first email we get. Uh, <laughs> Oh, people! Uh, people don't want to hear my opinion that uh, the Last Jedi is the only good Star Wars movie. I am with you on that one. Anyway, this about the time we wrap up the show. Thank you so much for listening to us. We are forty-eight minutes of dogs barking. Yes, we are. And I am Brian. You can harass me and send me death threats at I shot Gidibor, G-U-I-D-B-O-R-D on Yield Twitter and Instagram. You can also take a look at my pathetic photography at assholemusicphotographer.com. And my cohort here is Jason Robinson. Jason Robinson, where can we tell you that we're going to hunt down your family? At Video Crime on Twitter. That's V-I-D-E-O-C-R-I-M-E. We can also be reached via Twitter at 48 Minutes of Dogs. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash 48 Minutes of Dogs. Mm-hmm. And if you want to send us the secrets of the universe or whatever else you have hiding under your hat, that's four, eight minutes of dogs barking at gmail.com. And I have yet to see anyone use this for anything, but I'm going to put it out there. You can give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. 314. Ahoy, Ahoy poo. Poo. That's right. That's 314-246-9766. If you don't know how to spell with your telephone. So that about does it for the program. So we're going to leave you with a little something special from some folks that called themselves Meet Katie, M-E-A-T-K-I-T-E. The song itself called Rotten.com from the album Long to Belong. We're going to have a good one. Hopefully we'll be on the mend for a future episode We'll be able to do this in person once again. But in the meantime, we're all in this together, but we all die alone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.